0: as we look at James 3, I want to ask a question. How much fire would it take to burn this place down? And how much much fire would it really take? Would someone have to, you know, throw a Molotov cocktail through the stained glass windows? Or would a big tanker truck have to you know, blow a steering tire coming down the road and hit the church building and a big explosion were caused. Would it, would it take that much fire? Or could it start smaller? You think a single match could do it? Or a spark? Could a spark do it? While it may be upsetting for many of us to, to even consider. The thought of this building burning down, friends, there is a more dangerous fire around. There is a more dangerous fire. You know, I served a church one time and the church burned to the ground. My serving there and the church burning down didn't have anything to do with one another. I need to make that clear. I promise. I promise. But there is a fire that can burn a church down. There is a fire that can burn a marriage down. There is a fire that can burn a family down. And if we don't have a healthy respect for this fire, we will see it do its destructive work in our own relationships. Read with me James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament, whenever whenever someone says, my brothers, it's a term of endearment. It's getting ready to really lay into them. Have you ever noticed that? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. I wonder why it's I feel the weight of that. It's an interesting, interesting verse. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his, own, his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. the tongue is set among our members, uh, our body parts, uh, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And, and it is, itself is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, (laughs) the words buckle up. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or can a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce or yield fresh water. Would you pray with me? Father, we stand before you today under the knowledge that we can never approach your word we can never be confronted by Your Word and leave unchanged. We are always either softened by Your Word, even broken by it, or we walk away with a hardened heart. We, 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 we callous ourselves to, to what Your Bible says. God, I pray that we would do the first. I pray we would do the former. I pray that we would say right now in our hearts, Lord, would You use Your Word in me and would You change me by it? God, would you make us a stronger church? Would you, would you make us a healthy church? Would you make us a church that guards our tongues and submits our hearts to you? Because we know, Lord, that the tongue is just the heart made audible. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, I've entitled this sermon, The Heart of exposed. Because that's what the tongue is. The tongue is nothing but the heart made visible. It's the heart exposed. If you want to know what's the content of someone's heart, listen to their words. I wonder if you've ever had an experience or if you've ever been in a situation where it was frustrating or confusing. You didn't know which, which way you ought to go or you didn't know what the truth was in the situation. But then finally the truth came out. Sometimes the truth coming out is relieving. Truth shall set you free. Sometimes the truth coming out is very uncomfortable. The truth comes out and it's not very pleasant. Maybe you've been in a tense situation where emotions were running high and finally somebody just blurted out what they really felt and it just wasn't very nice. Maybe you've been watching a movie and, and it's one of these thrillers you know, or one of these, one of these uh, crime movies or, or television shows and then finally at the crescendo of the plot, right? You know, If the episode runs 22 minutes, right at about minute 19 or so, the truth comes out, and the, and the prosecutor gets his confession, just like Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men right there with Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth, and then he blurts it out, and finally everybody knows what really happened. There's a movie from 1997. It's kind of a low-budget Hallmark movie. It does have a couple of good actors, Tom Skerritt and uh, James Earl Jones. This movie is called what the, what the Deaf Man Heard. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, it's kind of obscure. I don't know really how much it plays on, on TV, but I have it on DVD, and I watch it every so often. And it's about this little boy um, who, who, who is on a bus, and his mother gets lost, and he ends up at this, at this bus terminal, and he just doesn't say anything. And everybody assumes that he's deaf, that he's deaf and mute. He doesn't talk. He doesn't seem to respond to anything that anybody says. And so he grows up. He, he spends 20 years here. And he's hearing everything that everybody's saying. And people are very free around him because they think that he can't hear them. And so they just kind of say their thoughts out loud around him. Meanwhile, he's hearing every word. And the Bible tells us in Luke 12 this, this truth. That even what is whispered in private rooms will one day be exposed. It will one day be proclaimed from the housetops. And here's the point. The point is this. The content of the heart is what God is concerned about. And every now and then, our heart bubbles over through our speech. Right? It does damage sometimes, and sometimes it brings life. But it's, James is telling us here that it's through our words that our hearts are often exposed. When we think that nobody's listening, or when we think that, that God isn't actually here and listening, we forget this truth that one day every idle word that we have spoken we will have to give an account for. And so here's the sermon. Here's this sermon in one line. Let God clean up your heart. So, that what comes off of your tongue will be pleasing to him. Friends, if if we have a pattern in our lives of words being destructive, we really don't have a tongue problem, do we? We have a heart problem. The tongue is just the heart made visible. So, here's the first point comes, I think, from the first few verses or even all of this little section of Scripture, and it's this. Words are more powerful than you know. Words are more powerful than you really are tempted to. To think. While we may say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, the reality is that much of our lives are actually driven by words. And I would even venture to say that some of us today are who we are today. We are who we are because of some of these little phrases that stick in our head from even our childhood. When someone at a a crucial moment spoke a, a word of life to us, or they spoke a word of of death to us and sometimes our lives are even altered just like throwing a a rock into a stream even in a small part it changes the flow of the water our lives are made and and sometimes even broken by the words that are spoken to us and the things that we come to believe Moments are perhaps captured in your memory, bad moments from earlier in life or or even recently, and, and, and good moments. I, sometimes, you know, I had, a, I had a grandfather who was just incredibly wise, and sometimes when I'm trying to figure out a problem or I'm trying to figure out what to do in a certain situation, some of his words just just... Come back to me, right? These, these words that help me kind of try to navigate certain situations. Uh, every time, I remember when I was a, just a young child, I was in the seventh grade, and, um, and I was trying to process one of my best friends lost his dad like two days after Christmas and playing church basketball. He just had a massive heart attack. He's like 40 years old, you know? And my seventh grade, my buddy just lost his dad right in front of him there on the basketball court. And I just remember trying to process this. I mean, my my processing, it was nothing compared to what he had to go through. But I just remember these words. I remember my my grandfather. I even remember his expression is is fixed in my mind, right? I see him right now saying these, these words to me to help me understand how God can allow this kind of thing to happen. Today, perhaps even more than you'd like to admit, you are controlled by the words of another. The Bible says Proverbs 1821, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm a strong believer in, in the in the power of encouragement. Have you ever been encouraged by somebody? Uh, a few couple weeks ago, I, I just I connected with a pastor who's also here in the western part of the state, and he he ministers at a you know a fairly prominent church just west of here, and and we met for for lunch this week, and I was just uh, uh, you know sharing some of my background with him and. And he was sharing with me some of his background. And he just took a couple of moments. And, you know, I I don't know. I I think maybe he's listened to a couple of my sermons and just kind of watched me from a distance. And I don't know this guy before we met, really. We just connected. And and I I believe in the value of, of having older, wiser folks in my life. And so I just said, let's meet for lunch. We got together. And he just spent a few moments just encouraging me. I mean, just speaking words of life to me. And I, and I left that lunch meeting thinking that I could just charge hell with a water pistol because, like, I mean, this guy had spoken words of life to me. And it just made me want to pass it on this week to other people. Our words can bring life. Our words can kill. Mark Twain said that he could live for two months on a good compliment because words are incredibly powerful. Sometimes anger, things said in anger, can stick around longer in the memory of those that you said them to than than they do in your own mind. I don't know if you've ever had this encounter where finally you've been just stewing on something that somebody said to you. And then you go to them and say, you know what, I I, I can't seem to get past this. When you said this to me, it was really hurtful. And they look at you and said, when did that happen? Words are powerful. They stick in the minds of others sometimes more than they stick in our minds. Churches, families, marriages have been left in, in wreckage due to backbiting and gossip and rumors and just a general lack of charity that, does, that should not mark Christians. It says in Galatians 5.15, If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. We think we can take bites out of people, and next thing you know, we've become consumed, eaten one another alive. Marriages have even reached the point that reconciliation seemed just impossible because of harsh words that were said. I can't seem to get past them. Words in here, in James 3, they're presented, this is the second point, words are presented as the short route to sin. Short route to sin. You know, when I first came here, uh, you know, there are a couple of different ways to get from here to Elkton. And I learned very early on that one of those ways you folks call the shortcut. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. Words in James chapter 3 are presented as the shortcut to sin. It says we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Also able to bridle the whole body. In other words, the tongue is presented... The tongue is such a difficult thing to control. Oh, in the right moment, when we got that piece of gossip, we just want to share it. We think we've got something that will, that will increase our standing in the, in the eyes of someone else. We just want to say it. When we've got a piece of truth and, man, we want to just pound our opinion, we like to put it forth. The reality is the tongue is presented as such a difficult thing to control. That if you were to master the tongue, it would, be, it would be this this huge sign of spiritual maturity. Where I lived in South Carolina is very close to the BMW plant. A lot of industry there, the, the, the economy has really been boosted as the textile mills kind of went out. All the cotton mills in South Carolina went out. Uh, BMW kind of came in in the 90s and then Michelin came with it, right? Because... Cars need tires, and so uh, all of these people began getting jobs at the BMW plant. And I had a friend who worked at the BMW plant, and and one of his jobs involved transporting some of the cars. And he was telling me about the tests that you have to go through in order to become one of these people who can actually drive the cars that are still brand new. And he said, they put you in a room, and the room is square and it's just a little bit wider and a little bit longer than the car itself. And they put you in a right-hand drive car where the steering wheel is on the right-hand side of the car. And not only that, but it's a manual transmission. So not only are you on the wrong side of the car, you're shifting with a hand that you're not even used to. And he says, what you have to do is in this box, basically, you have to, you have to make the car do a 360. Like you have, to, you have to get the car from where it is and turn it all the way around without hitting any of the walls. And if you can do that, then you're certified. In other words, if you can do this, then you can drive any car we've got. You know, most of them aren't right-hand drive, most of them aren't manual transmission, and most of them you aren't gonna be in a little room that's a box having to do a 360. And so if you can clear that hurdle, then surely, surely you'll be safe out here on the road, in other words. And this is what James seems to say. He seems to say, if you can control the tongue, then the rest, it's all downhill from here. I mean, you're just coasting, prime time. There's, There's something though about the ease of sharing an opinion of sharing gossip, of blurting it out because if it's the truth, because we think to ourselves, hey, it's the truth, so I can, just, I can just say it. Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that our responsibility isn't just to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. We convince ourselves that it's okay because after all, we live in this age of transparency. You just got to be real, right? We've come to the place where we, we can justify saying anything as long as at the end of it we say, just saying, right? Well, man, you look like, you know, you, you, I don't know. I don't know. what i is trying to think of an example. i got to be careful here. <laughs> on the fly, this is always dangerous, right? When it's not on the paper. This is, what, this is what you have to answer for later. You know, you say to somebody, I don't know. That dress makes you look like a hippo or something. Just saying. And somehow saying the phrase just saying makes it all Okay. Because I'm just being real. Gotta tell the truth. Friends, the reality is there's no such thing as just saying. You know why? Because everything that we just say originated somewhere, it originated in our heart. If we find that we have a tongue problem, we really don't have a tongue problem, we have a heart problem. And it spills over. In our tongue i've heard someone say words that i try to live by the best i can i've never regretted what i didn't say helpful words in some cases sometimes we have to say difficult things sometimes we have to have the wisdom to not say but look at the imagery here look at the the word pictures that james paints for us he he says He's able to bridle his own body. What kind of term is that? Where do do you use a bridle? Well, you use a bridle on on a horse, right? It's, It's a word for control. And if you can control the tongue, then you can control your body. A small bit in the mouth of a horse, it directs it either well or poorly. Ships, they're directed by a small rudder. The, the, the small nature of the thing that directs such a big ship is, is a picture for the tongue. And the tongue can lead you well or it can lead you astray. And that's why I give you an example. of it, It's not going to take a, a big explosion at this church you know, to burn this place down. It would really probably start with some kind of little spark or some kind of little match or a candle left on or something silly like that. It always starts small. He uses the word taming, another animal reference. He says all these animals are tamed, but nobody can tame the tongue. And then he uses the big one, fire. Clearly, the image here is one of destruction. Fire brings destruction. We speak of things spreading like wildfire, right? We speak of this disease that we've been having to navigate spreading like wildfire. We speak of a rumor spreading like wildfire. And James likens words here to a fire. Surely the spark was small, but the destruction, the destruction was great. The church that I served in South Carolina, um, just to prove to you that it didn't have anything to do with me, the church burned down before I even got there. Um, But it was an electrical problem in the baptistry during some construction. The next morning, the church is on the ground. In the summer of 2008, it was very dry and hot in July, back home at least, in North Carolina. And, uh, and something started up on a mountain north of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, on a mountain called Saratown Mountain that came to be known as the Tower Ridge Fire. Uh, I was 18 years old, and I went to help. Uh, I was in the fire department. I stayed overnight one night. And the next morning, they sent a group of us down this hill because fire was kind of coming around the hill, you know, gradually. And they said, "I'm going to send a group of you down to cut a, a fire break. See if we can slow this thing down. You know, see, so you, you take the, you take the equipment, and you just kind of try to cut a little 18-inch at least, or, or better if you can, little break in the leaves and in the, and in the, uh, the brush, so that maybe a, the fire could stop there, and or at least be slowed down. And I remember. And they sent us down, there wasn't a flame in sight. And it wasn't long, as we were cutting that fire line, you start to see it kind of coming around, coming around close. And I know it was probably only moving about a mile per hour or something, and you, know, you could walk faster than it could go, but uh, you know, we are having to walk uphill to get out of its way as it's coming this way. And I remember when it got very close to us, it, was probably, it probably got as close to me as, as that wall over there. And I remember that it was taller than I was. And I remember thinking to them, I said, they called us to come back up the hill because they saw it coming and everybody's trying to, you know, run up the hill and and things like that. And I remember feeling the heat. It's it's that far away. You can still feel the heat and you can see the destruction. And it seems like it's moving 60 miles an hour towards you. And I remember thinking, if I can't get up this hill, I'm just going to have to duck and roll through it, right, and get over to the other side where it's all already burned over or something like that. I got up, I, I was able to get up to the top, but it gave me a very vivid picture of how quickly and how devastating this destruction can be. And I believe that fire was started by a car, something like that, leaking a little bit of oil on some leaves or something something silly, something small. The reason that words are so powerful is the third point. Words point to truth. Words point to truth, or at least they should, right? Here, here's the reason that I, that I say this. It says it in the, in the Scriptures here. For from the same mouth come blessing, blessing and cursing. We're here at church today for a few reasons. We're here because we believe in truth. We're here actually because we believe in a revealed truth, that God has given truth to us. And so, because God is a God of truth, He expects His followers to be people of truth. He expects his followers to be people who use their words to speak what is true and not what is false. And so the reason that words are so powerful is because our words tell to other people what we believe to be true. Right? And sometimes that truth is, is actually on point and it just hurts. And other times we say things that just aren't true. And so the reality is when we lie, we're painting a false picture of who God is. Because He's a God of truth, and He's told us to use our words to speak truth, to be like Him. When we lie, we, we paint a picture, a false picture of who God is. When we gossip, we paint a false picture of who God is. and we're just, we're just putting sparks out there, friends, and you never know how dry the leaves might be the day that you put the sparks out and what kind of destruction might be brought. This is why James really gives a warning to guys like me, teachers. And he says... He says, not many of you should become teachers. Friends, I feel the weight of this. I feel the weight of of knowing that that the things that I talk about are eternally significant. The things that I talk about are weighty. And that's why the responsibility to use words well and to point toward truth is so important, right? Because, Because words are a shortcut to error. And so we gotta be careful, we gotta be careful with our words. Sometimes Whitney gets on to me for um, for for, I don't know, I'm the master of the pregnant pause, right? She'll ask me a question and then I'll answer and I'll say, well, sweetie, it's really like this. She said, just spit it out. And I say, I don't want to start a fire. I don't, I don't want to say, I want to make sure that I say it the way that I want to say it. And that's not a commentary on her. That's just commentary on me. She's, she's, a very, she's an incredibly forgiving person. Let, let me actually give you an example of this. <laughs> let me give you an example of how forgiving she is. I mean, just the other night, this is confession time, right? pastor needs to be able to model confession so that his people are hopefully people who can confess. So here we go. Um, just the other night, you know, I, I was sitting there and it was a long day and I was sitting down in front of the television. And we don't watch a lot of TV, but this is a little window where we, you know, I was watching TV. And I got my, I have this little ritual every night. I have a bowl of popcorn and some grape juice. And I think that's why I've gotten through COVID, you know, so far. Um, you know, just grape juice every night. I don't know. And um, and so I'm sitting there with my popcorn and my grape juice. And I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to stay tuned in to the plot of what's going on here on the TV show. And, and then Whitney asked me a question. And because you know, I have a really one-track mind. You know, it's a fault of mine, and, and I don't know, maybe a lot of men are that way. But I just, I just looked at her, and I said, yes, sweetie, that's right. And, you know, I just was like, really short, really short. And she just looked at me like, all right. And so a few minutes later, you know, she went back into the, in, into the bedroom, and I went back, and, and I just looked at her, and I said, sweetie. And she said, I know, I forgive you. <laughs> And I said, that's good because I need it. You know, I mean, praise God for a forgiving wife. Here's the last point. I've said it before. The tongue is just the heart made audible. The tongue is just the heart made audible. It says this with it, the tongue, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who we were made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Friends, here's where we get to the root of the matter. The reason that words matter so much is because they reveal what's in the heart. And that's why we have to be on guard. And, and, and of course, in, in, in classic fashion, we've talked about this, how, how James had a very close relationship with his half-brother Jesus, right? And so a lot of James's teaching seems to mirror Jesus' teaching. Uh, Jesus says the same thing in Luke chapter 6, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked up from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil of his treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart, the tongue, the tongue is just the heart made audible. If our speech is marked by gossip, slander, malice, bitterness, even just sarcasm all the time, we don't have a tongue problem, we have a heart problem and let me prove it to you from Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to this. Listen to how Paul just connects all the dots right here. Right after Paul tells the Ephesians to put off the old self, he says this, Therefore, having put away Falsehood. In other words, he's dealing with the truth. Like what is true, what is false? Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak. So there's a connection with what's true with the way that we ought to speak. So, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. What in the world does anger have to do with our words? Well, apparently a lot. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if you are angry, you got two choices. You can keep a long list and you can mull over that list. Or you can settle the account and do not let the the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity for the devil. In other words, staying angry or bitter has to do with a satanic force. Do you see that in the scriptures? It says, give no opportunity for the devil. For the devil, see, here's the thing. If if you keep a list of wrongs and if you stay angry, you think that you are having a power over somebody else by you holding on to your anger when really what's happening is Satan is having power over you. Do you see that? Give no opportunity. To the devil, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let the thief no longer steal, but re- let him rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's the negative command. That's what not to do. Don't do this. Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the, ca- the occasion. That's the positive command. This is what you should do. In other words, use your words positively to speak life into people. Sometimes we think, well, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't say anything at all. But that's only half of the, that's only one side of the coin. We should also, as believers, be actively seeking to, to, to speak life into people and to speak encouragement into them. because we're all friends walking. difficult difficult roads so that it may give grace to those who hear it's the rationale so that we can push one another on toward Christ. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. So wow, all this is really connected. Words, the heart, and the way we treat other people. It's, it's all, it's like spaghetti. It's not the little compartment trays you get in elementary school. It's it's all intertwined with one another. Why? Because it has to do with the heart. And the condition of our heart will, will give evidence, will, be, will, will, will pour forth out of our mouths and the way that we speak. So friends, I'll say here, what do you do with this passage? It's a difficult one. It's difficult because James says here that every single one of us are guilty of it. James here says that basically the the level uh, uh, the playing field is level. Nobody seems to be able to master the tongue. This is not an excuse not to work on it. But the reality is he says this is common to man. So what do we do? Maybe, maybe this is you, maybe if you're honest with yourself, you have a history of trouble with the tongue. Maybe it's a little too loose or a little too free. So we have to recognize that at heart... What we really have is not a tongue problem, it's a heart problem. So I would say to you, ask God for grace. God, would you clean up my heart so that my, my words give life? Would you clean up my spring so that the water is, is pure, is fresh water instead of salt water? Would you, would, you make me, would you make me into a fig tree so that I bear fruit instead of into a bramble bush that just has thorns? Maybe you've been hurt by words. Words from your childhood that were spoken to you in anger maybe over, even a, a parent, a family member or a friend, words from an enemy, words from a coworker more recently, perhaps. Here's what I would say to you. If the words of people are the bottom line for you, you're going to be enslaved. You're going to be enslaved to bitterness you're going to be enslaved maybe even to depression you're going to be angry maybe even vengeful if the words of people are what you hang your hat on that's a really bad master that's a really bad master what i would say to you as a pastor as a as a friend as a brother in christ replace the words of people replace them with the words of god because the words of God are the only words that we can trust to be true all the time. They're the only sure guide. Only this way can we, can we overcome the hurtful words that we heard as a kid, the hurtful words that your co-worker said last week or whatever the case may be. Only this way can we forgive our enemies for their words if the words of God are more important than the words of people in our lives. Set the words of God in the driver's seat and let's ask God as individuals, as families, as husbands and wives, parents, children, help us to ask God. Let us ask God today, God, would you clean up my well so that what I draw out of it can be a blessing to other people? Let's pray. God, you were so good to us you give us everything that we need. You give us hard words in James, and goodness, James is chock full of them, God. And, and I don't know if, if folks here have felt conviction, but sometimes I'm sitting down in my office just reading this and preparing these sermons, and, and it's like the sermon gets preached to me in such a way, and I have to sit there and repent before I even uh, can, can venture to come up here and talk about the things that Your Word says. But Lord, I thank You for that. I thank You that Your Word is useful for correcting, for teaching, for reproof, for training in godliness. I thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness through your word and through the Holy Spirit's reminder of your words. God, help us to be a people who don't have the words of people in the driver's seat. Help us to be a people who have the words of God in the driver's seat so that we can live the lives that you've intended us to live effectively, humbly, repenting for our own words. And forgiving others for their words. Because, Lord, this, this problem is common to man. And we are all guilty. God, would you change us? Lord, I pray if there is one here today who has heard of the God, who, the God of truth, that they would see that this God loves them. That, 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 that the seeds of the gospel would even sprout forth today. That they would say, you know what? I was lost. I was wandering far away from God. And He came after and sought me. And He's drawing me to Himself today. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who needs to to confess Jesus as their Savior today, that they would do it. That today would be the day of salvation. That they would come and talk to me in these next few moments and ask me, what do I need to do to be a Christian? It's receiving Jesus in our place, condemned He stood. He took the punishment for us. He went to the cross. He bore our shame so that we could be set free. Lord, I pray for all of these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.